Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. Glad that you joined us. Thanks for, um, please don't mind our dust, right? If you've ever seen those signs before, as we continue to work uh, around in here, we thought it would be good to be inside. I apologize for those who are tuning in online who didn't get that message last week. Um, I didn't communicate well enough. Uh, I could easily say as like a teacher, you didn't listen, but I will take the blame and, uh, and, and not communicating better. We are in here this week and we'll probably be in here unless we have a really nice day like Thursday or Friday. Uh, like we had this last week, um, but we're going to try to be in here um, since the weather is now headed to colder. Um, just another reminder next week, Andrew said it, make sure you don't forget to turn your clocks um, so that you can get that, enjoy that extra week. If you have your Bibles, if you turn into Acts chapter 15, we're going to continue unpacking the book of Acts, and as we uh, unpack this, last week we started, and we kind of covered a lot of the chapter 15 there, and then I said this week we would cover uh, what, what the council in Jerusalem was saying as they sent word back then to Antioch, to the Gentile church, and to the churches abroad as the message went out, what was... What was their word when it came to the law? Um, because that's what the controversy was. It was how much of the law did they need to do? Um, there were some who had come into the church in Antioch there who were telling them that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. In order to truly be a follower of Jesus, you needed to be circumcised. Thank you for those of you who sent me a little note about how they could figure out if they were circumcised or not. Last week, I kind of shared that. Yes, there was public bathing. There was much more public back in that day. But there was, uh, um, they, they knew too, there was an honesty of the heart and, and they, they would not be able to hide that in their day. So when it comes to this circumcision, um, there, was, there was quite a, a diversity on, on thought. And so ultimately, Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem, and that's where we see in chapter 15, as they meet with the other apostles that are there, and, uh, and James and the other leaders, the elders of the church that were there in Jerusalem, um, they're meeting and they're trying to come to an understanding and, and an agreement of what does the church look like? What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus? And how, how do our lives, how do their lives show that? And so we see that here in Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21, and then also verses 28 and 29 in Acts chapter 15. So you can follow along. These are up there. There are a lot of verses that we're going to cover this morning that I chose not to put up there. Um, because I want you to dig into your word, God's word. I want you to open your Bibles. So Acts chapter 15, we're going to read verses 19 through 21, and then verses 28 and 29. So Acts 15, verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should, and who's this speaking? Well, this is James, 
um, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem at this time. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. Those four. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now jump down to verse 28 and 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to open it this morning. We pray that, uh, that it, would, it would penetrate our hearts. Lord, that it just wouldn't be words this morning for us. It wouldn't just be things that we have to do or not do. Um, but Lord, it would truly be about our relationship with you. Our lives are about a relationship with the creator God who you are. You've created us. You've placed us here on this earth. And I pray that we would be mindful of what you have to tell us today. Help us to have ears that listen. Help us to have a heart that's willing to change. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I've titled today, Abstain From... What is the church to do? Because today really is that, uh, what are we to do? As we read this, uh, not only for the first century church as they got word um, on how they were to live, they were to abstain from these four things. It is interesting to note the first uh, time they're mentioned um, that as James is mentioning and then as they're mentioned in the letter, there is a different order. And I don't know that that signifies anything um, other than just to make that observation that there is a different order. When we look at this, the first thing that, that they are to abstain from is from idols, from anything, the things polluted by idols. And so what we want to look at is that, that idea of food that's offered to idols you say, well, that doesn't really apply to us today in America. And for the most part, it probably doesn't. Unless you go to a, a Hindu um, service or if you would go to even um, a Jehovah's Witness wedding and celebration, uh, which most are not welcome to participate anyway, outsiders. Um, but there are certain things that as we look at and as we uh, see around our world, uh, it still applies. It still applies today to us when we think about food offered to idols. I want to take you to the Old Testament, and then we'll actually look at a couple passages in the book of Revelation. Um, but turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, and verses 17 through 26. Some people will say, well, we don't live under the law anymore because Jesus has freed us from the law. Um, I would agree with that in one sense. Yes, we live under a, a, a new covenant, that covenant that has been given to us because of the blood of Jesus. Um, 
but I, I want us to be extremely careful when we throw out the whole law. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so there are things in the law that the Old Testament Mosaic law that actually are very, very good for us to, to be mindful of. We as Gentiles have a, a, a different, uh, we live differently than the Jews because we are not God's chosen people. The Jews, the Jewish people are God's chosen people and, and God, they will always be God's chosen people. And, and when Jesus returns, he's going to gather them and, and bring them together as a nation. As Gentiles, Paul says in Romans that we have been grafted in. We've been allowed the great privilege of worshiping and serving and trusting in a God of the universe through Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Christ that we are able to have a relationship with God. Even in the Old Testament, we see Gentiles, certain Gentiles that God uh, brought into the fold that, that accepted the true and living God and who worshiped him. And so it wasn't, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't just uh, secluded, uh, honoring and following God. It wasn't just secluded to the Jews, but the Jews were to be the light to all the other nations. So when we come to this book, to Deuteronomy, some people will say, oh, well, we don't, need, we don't need to worry about this. Well, let's read this and let's see what it has to say about idols and about food for idols. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 17. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, what's interesting is there's already a reference that we've seen to this chapter. And if you forgot it, if you didn't mark it in your Bible before, you might want to mark it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, is a reference back in Acts chapter 13, verse 19, when there's a recollection, there's a recall of what God has done and the seven nations that, that, were, that were thrown to the side, that were cast out so that Israel would have the land. And so here we see another call back to the Old Testament in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, or Deuteronomy 7, uh, verse 17. It says, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dis dispose them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So would the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Verse 20. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in, their, in your midst a great and awesome God. Now, just pause for a second. Verse 22, we'll pick up here. I got to put my glasses on so I can see your faces. The new hornets that are in America, this isn't talking about that. We have to be careful as we read scripture that we don't read into our own thinking or whatever is happening today. So be careful. When I read that earlier this week, I thought, oh boy, there's going to be somebody who comes up to me and says, hey, look, the hornets, and it's happening in America. The truth is, God can use anything. He's created it all, 
And he can use anything to humble people and to bring people under submission. So verse 22, let's keep going. The Lord your God will clear away uh, these nations before you little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But when the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into the great confusion until they are destroyed, and he will give their kings into your hand, and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. Pretty clear. Not only the image, but what it's made of. Don't covet that. The gold, the silver. Just say, oh, we'll burn it down and we'll keep it and we'll use it for something good. No, God says, listen, I don't want you to have any of that. I want it all destroyed. If we flip over a little bit to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 17, move towards Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We see in Leviticus 17, verses 7 through 9, another reminder. It's talking about the sacrifice, and the Lord spoke to Moses to tell Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel about the things that the Lord had commanded. Verse 1. So verse 3, 17, verse 3. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp and kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of the meeting to offer it as a gift of the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from amongst his people. This is to the end of the people of Israel. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priests at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord and at the entrance of the tent of the meeting and burn the fat for pleasure pleasing aroma to the Lord for they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore this shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations now I don't see a whole lot of goat demons around that we are offering meat or goats or lambs to but evidently at this time, it was a big deal. And so God wants the nation of Israel, as they sacrifice their animals, there was a way to do that. And ultimately, it was not to be done out in the field. They were to bring their sacrifice to the temple, to the entrance of the temple, and that there the blood would be spilt out. There it would be sacrificed. That's critical in just a moment when we look at a few things. But let's finish here before we get to the blood. 
and strangling, let's look at food that's offered to idols in the book of Revelation. So flip now to the end of your Bible in Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 and verse 20. So we know this, this book is, um, is an uncovering of the things to come, the things that must soon take place, as John writes it. It's written to the seven churches that are in Asia. Not our Asia, um, as we know Asia today, but actually a lot of these churches were where Paul and Barnabas were traveling. And so here we see the end times, and as John is writing for us. We see some of the things that God has seen, uh, that God has revealed to him, and that he's recording. And so it says in verse 12 uh, of chapter 2, And the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who are holding to the teach of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality." Now jump down to verse 18. That's one church, one of the seven. Here's this, another church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrifice to idols. So even at the end times, we see what? This, this is a major thing. That there is going to be food sacrificed to idols in which the churches, two of these seven churches, are participating in eating. While it may not be as big of a deal for us today, we need to heed to the word of God. And so whenever you encounter the opportunity to eat food that's been offered to idols, let me encourage you to not participate. Now, some people will quote 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, how we have freedom, or 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. While we may have rights and privileges, we don't have to exercise those rights and privileges for the sake of something bigger and better. And that's our brother and our sister. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 really talk about gray issues. The issues why we have freedom as Gentiles, do we exercise those as Gentiles? Or do we live in such a way that helps our brother and sister know Christ and follow Christ obediently. It was interesting to me. I came across this uh, quote from the Torah club and I want to read it for you. 
um, about food that was offered to idols. Do you, do you know that first, second, even into the third century church, that there were hundreds of, if not thousands of people who gave their life because they would not eat food offered to idols? Is that you? They come down to that. Would you, would you say, no, I will not eat of that. And they say, well, I'll, it's going to cost your life. This is what uh, Justin Martyr wrote. And I have it here for us. Lana, if you got that, you can put that up for us. It says, those are the Gentiles who know God, the maker of all things through Jesus, the crucified, patiently endure every torture and cruelty, even to the point of death, rather than worship idols or eat meat offered to idols. Sometimes I was just talking with uh, Seth and Dana as we were outside waiting to greet people. Sometimes we try to live so comfortably. Um, We don't try, we want to, we desire to. This is one area where the the leaders in Jerusalem of the church wanted the church to know, abstain from things that have been offered to idols. There was a distinction, a set apart. We need to be careful today. Let's look at this next item, the blood. The blood, as, uh, as it says here, it says abstained from blood. And there's also a portion that says from what has been strangled. So is that, how does that fit today? What does that look like? If you go out and strangle a rabbit, are you allowed to eat that rabbit meat? Some of you are like, yeah, that's gross. Well, uh, can you strangle any animal and then eat of it? I would say probably not. Let's go to the Old Testament again. Now let's go even farther back to the book of Genesis Genesis chapter 9 and verse 4. So this is no longer under the Mosaic covenant. This actually precedes this. And this comes from the Noahic covenant. From Noah. When Noah gets off the boat, all right, God speaks to him. And in Genesis chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, God blessed Noah, Genesis 9, verse 1, blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. And to your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Do you hear that? Let me read that last part. Verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. Some of you may be grossed out. Say, that is very gross. Well, flip over to Leviticus, again, chapter 17. 
This time we're going to look at verses 10 through 14. Leviticus 17, verses 10 through 14. It says, If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. When we look at blood, it's something that oftentimes we just can quickly pass over. What's absolutely amazing when we look at this is when an animal is strangled, um, this isn't amazing, but in a moment, what I'm going to say is amazing. When you strangle an animal, that blood is kept within itself. It isn't poured out. All right? when, when animals are sacrificed or killed in such a way where their carotid artery is severed, the blood comes out of it. All right, there were strict instructions about sacrifices and how a sacrifice was going to take place. That starts from, from before Moses when, when you think about Abraham as he's getting ready to sacrifice his own son. He, he wasn't there to strangle his neck. No, he had a knife in his hand ultimately to do what? I don't think it was to slash him in his heart. It was going to come across his neck. So that why? Because the blood needed to be poured out. It needed to be spilt out. We've already read in Leviticus 17 about how the blood was to be offered. And when you came and when the priest offered it, it was to be sprinkled on certain places. Why is that so significant? We've already read it twice. Let me read to you again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now fast forward to the New Testament. When we see Jesus hanging upon the cross. As his blood was pouring out. After he had been whipped and scorned. And punished. For you and I. They thrust the spear up into him to see if he's dead. And what comes out? Water. Why? Because there was no more blood. He was dead. Out of blood comes life. Jesus, God's son, came to this earth and he hung upon a cross and he died for you. His blood was poured out so that we could have the forgiveness of sin. In Hebrews, it says this. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus. See, the same blood that was offered by animals, there was something more significant. And this is the amazing thing. 
It wasn't just the blood of bulls and goats. It was the blood of the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We aren't to eat of blood because that out of that symbolizes life. That's the life of that. What we see here is a picture of our Savior, Jesus, and his blood being poured out so that we could have life. Isn't that amazing? Makes me think of the old song, the old hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now we come to the last item, having covered three. The meat that's strangled from blood, from anything polluted by idols, we come to sexual immorality. I will try to be a little careful as I know we have some younger ears here this morning, but I want to be direct. We've already read in Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 and Revelation 2 verse 20, the churches that were struggling with sexual immorality. We also see in Leviticus chapter 18, we've been looking at chapter 17, and it's amazing how these are closely tied together. But in Leviticus chapter 18, there is a description of what sexual relationships look like and how healthy they need to be and what is unhealthy. I believe today we need to honor one's sexuality in the way that the Bible describes it. The Bible is very clear and descriptive of what our sexuality looks like today. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 18, a few verses. Leviticus 18 verse 20, it says, You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourself unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among them. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. 
The body is not meant for what? Sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his powers. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who has joined the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Let me say it this way. Your body is not meant for you to do whatever you want to please yourself. Paul says, flee, run, get away from sexual immorality. He continues and he says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of this temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband shall give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's the right way. We live in a day today... That's running off of a drug. And unfortunately this drug is also being used in the church. It's a pleasure of sexual immorality. Pornography is running at a rampant, a rampant way. Not only outside of the church, but inside of the church. Then we wonder where God is and why God isn't around. It was a teaching. It was very clear from the very beginning that the church was to abstain from sexual immorality. I wonder today if I took a survey, an anonymous survey that each one of you would fill out. That if within the last year, you would say that you have been pure in your sexual thoughts and actions. I wonder what our percentage would be. 
I am not here to throw stones, but I am here teaching you the word of God. I am here as a man who lives in a world that is sexually charged and desiring to tear us down, to tear my marriage down and to tear my family down. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And one of the ways he is infiltrating the church today is through sexual immorality. Church, listen very clearly today. We must, we must abstain from sexual immorality. If you are struggling, tell someone. Get on your knees before God, confess it, and talk to someone. This is a call not for us individually to try to conquer. This is a call for us as a church to be pure, to pursue God, to pursue something that is greater than my own selfish desires. We have been bought with a price. Do you know what that price is? It's the life-giving blood of Jesus. We've been purchased. We've been bought. Our bodies are not our own. I was talking to um, our boys cross-country team this week. And part of my motivation for them was to say, you have 17 minutes, 17 minutes of agony and pain that you're going to go through. And after those 17 minutes, then you can celebrate. Folks, as the church of Christ, this is not our home. Look beyond. We have what? 70 years total, some of you. Some of you don't have 70 years left. Some of you have I was going to say 30, maybe 20, maybe five. We don't know, but look at, look at the focus. And if what we do is listen to Satan and say, right here and now is what I want to focus on. Right here and now, I deserve this. Right here and now, this is only something little. It's not that big of a deal. We have been lied to. Look at the truth. To live for Jesus now is not such a cost. And whatever it does cost us, it's worth it. 43 years old. So if I have another 50 years, what a life that will be. Can I endure for 50 years? Sure. It's 50 years. It's 40 years. Do not be deceived. Let's not mock God. This is a call to us today of principles that I think still apply to us. We saw it from the very beginning when Noah is spoken to by God. And I think it still speaks to us today. Those of you who have ears, hear. I pray and hope that we will take this seriously today. Will you pray with me, Lord? We thank you 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Lord, out of these four things, for me, three of them are easy. For most of us, these four things, three of them are easy, easier. Lord, we live in a day and a time where there is an exploitation We have been deceived. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us as church, as individuals, for giving in to our own temptations and giving in to our own pleasures, our own desires, especially when it comes to sexual temptation and sexual immorality. Help us to bring the things that are in darkness to the light. In the light is where there is healing. You are the light, Lord. As we sang earlier, there is nothing better than you. And yet there are times that we lie to ourselves and we indulge in our desires thinking that they are better than you or that we deserve or that no one else understands. Lord, you do. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know our bodies. Lord, may we truly be temples that house the living Holy Spirit seeking to obey you, not to keep the law, but to abide by these that we've heard here today because we know it's what's best. We know it's best for our marriages. We know it's best for our relationships. We know it's best for our walk with you. Help us not to be lazy, intimidated. Help us to strive and to overcome. To overcome because you have overcome. So may we flee sexual immorality. May our young people be committed and wait until they are married to have sexual relationships. May we see a group of young people who are committed to you and to your word. But may the young people see in us as adults, people who are pursuing holiness and righteousness, a purity in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we speak, in the way that we think. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us not to stay isolated. May we lean upon Jesus, but may we also know that we have the body of Christ. Christ went through the temptations that we face, and yet he did not give in, and I pray that we wouldn't either. 
So help us as we live this day and the days ahead, may it be said of the people of West Hill, unlike the two churches that we read about in Revelation, may it be said of the people of West Hill, these are people who fleed from sexual immorality and who pursued holiness. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, bless you. I will not dismiss you this morning. I'll let you dismiss yourselves because of the way the chairs are. Thank you for being here. I pray that you'll take the word and that you'll live it out this week. We look forward to tonight, the trunk and treat. I think those of you who are participating, be here at 4.30. Uh, if you would please, 4.30 tonight, so that way we can, we can have everything set up before 5 when people will start arriving. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day.